Hello, we're your product coaches. And we're here to answer your product questions, or maybe just ease a little bit of your pain with your product challenges. We can't do it alone though. We want to hear from you. So go to broadcastbroadcast.com where you can sign up to be a future guest. Hey, Corey, how's it going? Hey, Casey, it's going good. How are you? Very good. I mean, we haven't chatted in a while because you've been on vacation all week. I love talking with you, but I also love not talking to you when I'm on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. That's fair. So, hey, it's the end of the summer, right? It's sad. We In Minnesota, we like to cherish our summer because the winters are so horrible. But so we try to cram everything in there at the end of the summer. So I want to know, what have you been doing this vacation at the end of the summer? What was your favorite moment with the fam? Oh, good question. So what we did is we rented a cabin up north in beautiful Minnesota Lake country. And it had a very nice beach. And I was just going to go, you know, the kind of the last hurrah with the family before mm -hmm. school starts up again, right? And we went up there to the beach and it was gorgeous. We had this big beach and lots of water toys. And it was cloudy, windy, and overcast and awful the first day we were there. And we were like, oh, my God. Oh, no. I know. It was such a bummer. Like you said, we love summers, but only when they're nice. Like, we don't have a lot of nice days. When we do get one, we need to live it up. So when it's supposed to be warm, but then overcast and windy, talk about a bummer. But you asked yeah. what my favorite thing was, and this is why I bring this up, because it actually turned out to be my favorite day of the entire vacation, this horrible, cloudy, overcast day. Because what we did, I'm Googling on the phone, like, what can we do? We just have this little tiny, tiny, tiny cabin. You know, we're not going to be jammed in here all day. So what can we do? So I found a horse stables about a 20 minute drive away from where by the lake we were staying at and my seven-year-old daughter loves horses so I'm like, I'll call them up and they said come on by we can go horseback riding we get there we drive to the horse stables we get on the horses my seven-year-old daughter gets up there and she loves horses and they bring out this pony whose name is Sprinkles and my daughter is like Sprinkles you know? <laughs> crazy <laughs> She is going berserk. So she's having so much fun and the horse is moving. She's on it. And we're just kind of hanging out. Then they bring out a little bigger pony for my nine-year-old son. His name was Journey. And he thought that was a sign because believe it or not, the very first concert I ever took him to was a Journey concert. Very cool. I know. So he was like, I got Journey like the concert dad. So he's doing great. They bring out my horse. His name was Dakota. And Dakota and I are good buddies now. And then the, they ask us too. They're like, oh, so is this your first time riding? And I'm like, oh, it's um, my kids' first time, right? I'm like, my wife and I, we've ridden before, right? And because my wife, she grew up in like rural Minnesota. Um, oh, okay. And all of a sudden my wife looks at me and she goes, no, I haven't, I've never ridden before. But I'm like. <laughs> Learning something new. I'm like, I guess I just assumed because you grew up <laughs> in rural Minnesota that you had rode a horse at least once. And she's like, nope. The first time on a horse. So I'm like, I guess it's just me that's first ridden a time horse. Time to know that. <laughs> so she get they bring her horse out, and the name, name of the horse is Sophie. And she gets on the horse, and no joke, we're all so then we start riding off, you know, and like my daughter's at the top in this little tiny pony, and then my son, my daughter's all just like as giddy as can be. And all of a sudden I go to check on my wife that actually she's right behind me. And I look behind me, like, how are you doing? And she's like, Get me off this thing. 
She was not enjoying Sophie. Hated Sophie. Hated every minute of it. She, it is the most anxious I've ever seen her in my life. She hated it. And we're done like 10 minutes and she's like, we get off now? And I look behind me and I'm like, if you want to tell our seven-year-old daughter who's riding sprinkles that she's got to cut this ride short, be my guest. Let's see how that ends for you. And she's stuck with it. But I have never seen her so nervous. And my favorite memory of our guide's name, we had a guide, obviously. The guide's name was Peyton. And the Peyton was maybe like a, I think she was like a 16-year-old girl who's been riding horses for a couple of years. And my favorite memory the whole time is um, my wife's horse stopped to eat for a little bit. And there was like a little space in the line. So the horse just started like kind of trotting to catch up out of nowhere. So all of a sudden I hear the horse start trotting, you know, so which means going a little faster and just there. Beep, beep, like the coofing clock, and, all, and then you hear my, my wife just go, Peyton! <laughs> it's going too fast! <laughs> like an episode from a movie where it was going to take off. It's so, it was! I was dying. Oh my God, it was so funny. But, and we ended up um, circling around back and like letting her off a little early because obviously the anxiety of not having like the control of a gas pedal and a brake pedal was just too much for her. So that was the most memorable part of your trip, Corey? I look at it by the time I'm 60, all the beach days will just blend together, but I will never, <laughs> ever forget my wife screaming, <laughs> Oh, I'm sure she's glad you're sharing this with our listeners. Uh, she might murder me later, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably would be the same way. I have not rode a horse and probably would feel the same way because I like to make sure I know that I can quickly stop and start and have it go at my pace. Well, just like I explained to her, like you are in control of the horse. They give you the reins. You just have to like, you know, use them. <laughs> I mean, it's a live animal. It's different than say my experience this week, which I was going to share uh, similar, but in a more controlled environment was we got to ride our new jet ski this week. Oh my gosh, do tell. <laughs> so I think I told you that we are partial owners in a jet ski, which I'm pretty sure we're just the finance arm of this operation. We decided, sure, now that all our kids have moved on to college and there's only one living at home, we should buy something like a jet ski. Yeah, this is totally when you spend money on fun things, when you don't have to share them with anyone. <laughs> yeah, not really good timing. But hey, we did it. We're locked in. So we decided that we were going to take the afternoon off, go to a park, go ride the jet ski around. Um, so my husband refuses to get on it. He's like, water's too choppy. Not going to go. I did go out on it because I, I'm like, we're paying for this thing. I'm going to go try it. But I can tell you, the, the break was my friend. Our son took it out and he was literally getting it completely out of the water. And I was just tooling around the lake, looking at the mansion. That was my idea of fun. I got bad news for you, Casey. Jet skis don't have brakes. <laughs> well, that's true. You just let go of the gas, but it's a pretty quick reaction. Okay, I'll give you that. So we also want to talk about what our biggest product challenges. I mean, it is called the Broadcast Broadcast. Yeah, it wouldn't really be a good broadcast if we didn't share a little bit of a product, huh? Yeah. So I was thinking we'd share. What is on our mind? What are those biggest product challenges that we've been thinking of? I can only pick one, though, because, I mean, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, one this week. I mean, we don't want to 
we don't want to use up all of our product challenges in the first episodes. All right, well, I'm going to share mine because what I've been thinking about lately is challenges about getting to our users. Mm. We come up with a lot of challenges when getting to users, both internal and external constraints. I'm dying to hear where your thoughts are at here. Yeah, for sure. And it made me think about it because we were listening to that podcast with Marty Kagan. And he says, one of the things that you can't take away that a product manager must have is unencumbered access to their users or their customers, right? So I was thinking about that. And actually, I think I shared in our very first episode about how exciting it is to see when engineers get to talk to the users. And it's interesting because we hear that feedback all the time, right? People say, oh, it's so great to actually hear from the users, but then they always deprioritize it, right? I don't have time. I don't know how to get to them. Such a big struggle. And I think as a challenge, we're always going to have to deal with. Yeah, it's a good challenge, right? I, I hear it all the time too. Something comes up, something got in the way, or I'd love to talk to users, but I have so many meetings on my calendar and I can't miss any of them. They're so important. And then I say, can I just see your calendar real quick? Why on earth do you have to go to four check-ins, okay? Use that time to talk to your users. But you know, we all have a fear of missing out and it comes back to how do we prioritize what's important? If we say talking to users is important, how can we prioritize that? Yeah, for sure. A lot of it is FOMO. And I know a lot of times when we talk to our product managers and we coach them and we say, you have to think every day and pick what's most valuable. Where are you spending your time? What are you bringing to the team? And again, we know, right? Product managers should be focusing on valuable, viable, and that should help them determine where they should spend their time. I was working with someone and they were really questioning, do they have enough capabilities? Are users coming to it? Are they getting to the information they need? Is it working for them? And I said, well, let's go talk to some of those users and find out. One of the things we've been talking about is, well, how do I find the right users, right? Because I want to make sure I get a good representation. If you go out there and say, hey, do you want to talk to me? Who are the users that are going to raise their hands? It's going to be the ones that love your product mm -hmm. or hate your product and want to complain. Mm -hmm. Every time. Totally. What if I were to tell you there's actually research on this that is actually it's a little crazy to me. Like a lot of times we'll get names of users of who we can reach out to by like we have a feedback button or something where people can go and they can either complain or say it's amazing and they love it. Right. In a lot of our products, we build these little feedback buttons. What if I were to tell you there's actually research out there that shows less than one percent of your user base uses that feedback button? Yeah, that's crazy. One percent. And if we are only talking to 1% of our user base, there's a 99% of opportunities we're missing out on. Exactly the point I was trying to make with this individual, because I said, look at your product metrics. Who's using your product all the time? Who's maybe using it only uh, infrequently? Who is using it for maybe only part of what you're trying to deliver or the outcomes you're trying to hit? Uh, actually, see if you can find people that aren't using it, but you want them to use it. So trying to get that cross-representation. 
And, you know, there's actually more research on that also, where if you, and I know there's going to be some mathematicians listening that want to talk about standard deviation and a lot of statistical things. And I'm going to say, if you want to question me, go to broadcastbroadcast.com to appear on our show and feel free to question <laughs> me live. I'd love to hear it. But I'm going to tell you, if you go out and you actually get a true random sample of diverse users, not just the 1% who submitted feedback, a true random sample, you will hear 90 to 95% of your opportunities after speaking with just seven users. That's yeah. awesome. Isn't that crazy? I love these facts that you're throwing out here, Corey. Very helpful for our listeners. It's helpful. I, you know, it's easy to throw out out facts when you spend 90% of your time saying the same thing over and over <laughs> and over and over again. That's an, that, that's a, that's a, uh, a prelude to our last episode, by the way. Nice. <laughs> Listeners got to go back and listen to that so they can figure out what we're talking about. One of the other things we were talking about is once you get this data, like how do you help it inform, right? What you're going to do. And so one of the techniques that I have also been exploring and, and getting folks to try out is a prioritization framework called it's very helpful in when you're optimizing your product so we're going to give you a link because there's a great website that's got a little bit more information about this so check the show notes because we'll give a link to where you can go read more about it but really helps you measure the difference between importance and satisfaction so you're kind of ranking what those features are or enhancements or the feedback you're getting when you're interviewing your users and it helps you figure out if those pieces of feedback, right, those suggestions or opportunities are in the overserved, underserved, or equally served space, which can help you prioritize what you might want to tackle. Because ideally, you should be going into that underserved space, right? Don't keep optimizing that space that people like and it's working great. Well, I know I'm going to be heading to our website after this show because I want to hear and learn more about opportunity scoring myself. Awesome. And the other thing I love about opportunity scoring is it really is focused around the jobs to be done framework. I'm kind of a nerd. I love the jobs to be done framework because people buy your products or services to satisfy a job. Yes, they do. Otherwise, why would they be buying it? For fun? No, they have a need. <laughs> they have a job. They have a problem that needs to be solved. And you got to think about what is that problem and how yeah. is my product solving that? Yeah. So I think I kind of linked in a couple of different challenges there, right? Figuring out the problem, figuring out who your users are, making sure you're going out and getting that data to inform what you're going to work on next. You already blew it. We're only supposed to talk about one challenge, Casey. I did that last time too. You asked me a question. I gave you two answers. I just can't focus on one thing. Uh, so follow directions. Okay. <laughs> okay. But the moral of the story is when I was talking to this person about this framework and the person responded and said, oh my gosh, I really learned an important lesson. Having the right tools for the job is so important. Welcome back listeners. We are so excited for our first call in guest today. I'm coach Casey. And I'm coach Corey. Welcome, Amy. You are our very first guest Yay. on our podcast. I'm so hey. excited to be here. 
Please share and introduce yourself, Amy, before we kick off and listen to your question. Alrighty, I am Amy Smith and I'm the Senior Director of Design at Thomson Reuters. Uh, I'm in, in a group uh, called Digital. And so my team of designers go forth and be mighty in the areas of e-commerce and self-service. And I've been doing, oh my gosh, I've been doing this goat rodeo for about 25 years in a variety of different roles, individual contributor, leading small teams, big teams, startups, small organizations, big organizations, just kind of doing it all. Did you say 25 years herding goats? Yeah, it's the goat rodeo, right? <laughs> it's fun, it's cute, but sometimes it's a little chaotic, right? I'm glad you picked up on that, Corey. Awesome. <laughs> always where my ears perked, it's the goats, right? And you said Thompson Reuters. They do yeah. nothing? I've never heard of them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so Thompson Reuters is a global organization that um, sells books, software, training, thought leadership for legal professionals, tax professionals, Um I go into the Egan, Minnesota office and um, yeah, so awesome for a force to be reckoned with. So you're saying two of my favorite things in the world, lawyers and taxes. Fun. Mm -hmm. I know, right? <laughs> Super. I love, I, they are, I call them knowledge workers. So lots of heavy cerebral stuff. And what I love about my job is that how can I make their lives easier by creating really great products? Well, that's a great tagline. And also, I feel like maybe they could be our first uh, ad, our first marketing. Ooh, I like I that. I mean, that was a great ad for them, Amy. So we yeah. may have to pick that. Thank you. Yeah, who can we send the invoice to for this ad space? <laughs> <laughs> who can we? So Amy, you have a ton of experience and you have that design perspective, which one of the challenges we were talking about in this episode is about connecting with users. So, so how very, how very relevant. Mm -hmm. So what is on your mind today? Okay. So I love making connections. I love making partnerships. I love making alliances and everything. And, and one of the things that I want to grow as a human being, but also encourage my teams of designers is how can we be better partners to our product counterparts within the various teams? So um, understand their perspective. What is driving them to make a product? How are they understanding strategy? Um, and, and I want to make sure that we're taking our product managers or our product owners uh, depending on what your title is, depending on your company, along for the journey, rather than throwing something over the fence and ensure that it's the right thing being made at the right time for the right person. How can we forge stronger relationships between product and design? What a great question. I mean, why would they ever want to work together, Corey? Oh, they shouldn't. In fact, they should be completely separate, constantly. <laughs> no. <laughs> Answer done. Thank you yep. for joining us. There you go. There's your short answer. I love it. <laughs> no, I mean, so we talk about this in our coaching practice all the time, right? Is that 
product and design. And also, believe it or not, yes, our engineers, our developers, they need to be included too. That's the three that we say need to be at the table if we're going to be practicing successful product management. Yeah, I, I love the question. And I know that there's a lot of folks that are struggling with this too, Amy. So thanks for bringing it up. Because oftentimes, and I probably am preaching to the choir, right? Is we just think of designers as prototypes. Oh, I just need the screen design rather than fully understanding our users and really understanding what kind of research or what kind of data can we get to validate that we're working on the right solution. Is that what you're trying to go for? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's like the why, right? You're you're part of this great, fantastic movie, and and the director is saying, "Oh, set the scene." Okay. Well, we've got the scene set, but like, what is my motivation? What is my inspiration? And so, um, you know, what I try to communicate is design, or I'm gonna call it discovery, right? Discovery needs a runway so that we understand the motivations, the customer problem, and not just from one angle, but from a variety of different angles, because, you know, again, I'm gonna go back to our customers. They're knowledge workers. They've got really complex problems to solve. And so it, it takes time. That's awesome. And I think the struggle is real there because we're either bringing you in too late, right? But I also wanna back up because I love the fact we know she's creative because she comes up with the movie analogy, right? And the directing analogy. But one of the things is it would be great to hear, like, if you've had successes in that space, I mean, you are kind of sharing with us what you think ideal state is, but have you seen it in action, Amy? Has it been successful? Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, some of the things that we've put into place at Thomson Reuters is rigor around how do we measure success? So, you know, what is my baseline data? What is the story that it's telling me? Um, where, where are we seeing exit rates? Where are we seeing a person call into the call center because they can't figure out what the hell's going on, right? Um, and, and so I love capturing current state so that I know what do I need to improve? And then the other challenge, here's another question. Can I keep at throwing questions your way? How many questions? I, I haven't even answered your first question yet. So, but yeah, keep going. Go keep I feel like this is, this is like therapy. I'm digging it. Um, <laughs> it, it is, um, you know, once we've got that a solid relationship, how do we break things down iteratively, right? It's that cadence of give me the runway so that I can learn what I need to build, but then... But then here's a place where designers kind of suck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> how, how do you build things iteratively and be okay with it just being okay until it Yes, because that's one of the things I was going to say, conflict, right? Coming from the product side of the house. And I think that's why sometimes that conflict between design and product happens is because product is very much like, okay, let's get to good enough. And I think sometimes we find that challenging with our design partners. So I think you really hit it on the head. That's where I was thinking, Amy, is like, you got to have that trust. And so that you guys can both appreciate your own perspectives and come together into that good enough space. I love that. I love that. 
One thing that comes to mind for me too is especially for designers, you have to be comfortable with being wrong, right? We have to build something that might look and feel like crap at first because we know we're going to get better. And through the discovery process, we're going to learn what we built might not look right, might not be right for our users and might continually and will continually get better as long as we're taking that customer perspective, as long as we are looking at good discovery. Um, I did want to answer your first question though, real quick too. Okay. Yeah. I just can't, I can't help myself. Right. And I want to answer it by saying some, what I feel, what, how I see, because your first question was around like, how do we bring design and product and have them work well together? Right. Mm -hmm. And let me answer your question by saying how they don't work well together. The opposite, right. What I sometimes see when I see there's a lot of conflict between product and design is when everybody works in their silos, the mm -hmm. dreaded silo, right? The product person comes on and says, I'm going to come up with a product plan. I need this designer, go collect user research and build me a wireframe. Come back when complete and I will evaluate. And then I will send it to my business stakeholder for approval. Once approved, I will send you back their changes. Then I will send it to my developer and they shall start the build, right? Wrong. No, that's an absolute wrong way of doing it because what ends up happening is when you work so siloed, it's great that, right? And sometimes I see when I think when product managers are trying to work like that, they're trying to really evaluate and they're trying to value every single person's unique expertise. But what happens is they're doing it all in a silo and they're not working together and valuing those expertise on the individual problem at the same time. How you bring design in is you collaborate within that product trio together while you're working on the same problem. I think it goes back to what you were saying, Amy, about understanding the problem, the vision, the strategy. And there are a lot of ways you can do that and not bringing in your designing partner, right? When that's already been solidified. And I think that's one of the things we try to also coach to, right, is that the earlier you bring in those folks, the more aligned you are. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And it's, it's some days it can be a battle royale to get that seat at the table, but I love, you know, we've got a really solid design ops team in which we've tried to put kind of, shall we say protocol in place, but it's that almighty kickoff, right? having a seat at the table, what's the problem? What's the space that we're working in? Um, but it, it is, it, it can, it sometimes it feels like that constant vigilance to ensure that product is aware of, well, let me ask you this, design defining the protocol that maps out what discovery looks like, rather than sometimes it's like, well, we, we may experience like product giving us, here's the, here's the problem, here's the way that you're going to go off and fix it. So mm. thoughts on that? Third question from Amy. We are really lucky with this one. <laughs> yeah. Maybe <laughs> like you need to right turn now. me off here. <laughs> I know. So I'll just say, in my opinion, I want Casey to weigh in too, but I feel like it depends on the situation and here's why. Mm -hmm. So when product comes to you, right, and they say, here's the problem we're going to fix, I think design can start asking a couple questions. 
where did this problem come from? How did you hear about it? Why are you focused, right? And you're gonna start hearing one of two ways of, one of two tracks of answers. Either you're going to hear that this came from user feedback and we wanna explore it more and we wanna have more interviews and find our user opportunities, or you're gonna hear- Hallelujah. Yeah, which is gonna be great. Or you're probably gonna hear the slightly more likely but unfortunate answer of some business leader told me we needed to get it built. That's your feature team. That's the business dictating what you're being told to build and what problem to work on. What I would do to kind of flip that over is say, hey, I understand they want this to be built, but why? What outcome are they trying to reach to? Mm -hmm. And once you understand that outcome and get a better idea of the outcome that that business is trying to reach, then say, hey, product manager, can we start talking to our users to understand their pain points and opportunities that might support that same outcome and validate this is the right thing to build before we start building it? Yeah. And he gave the consultant answer of it depends. Did you hear that? <laughs> and I can it never depends. be wrong. <laughs> well, but you know, I think that's okay though, because I think that might speak to maturity because, you know, sometimes you just got to get shit done, right? Good old GSD. But then there's times when, yeah. okay, we're open to having that dialogue. Let's have that dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things we talk about is like, we're not going to get our business partners out of the habit of telling us what to build, right? Because they think they understand. I mean, they fully understand where they're trying to go. So they think they know the solution. One of the things that I always say is great, then say, I'll go out and get some user data to show that that is going to solve the problem. And so that's where I think the partnership is. I don't think it's back to like who owns it because hopefully it's co-owned and co-created. But sometimes I think the challenge I see is the product manager thinks that they're most accountable for it. And so sometimes I think that's a challenge in sort of like, so sometimes it's, that accountability. Well, you're not going to be held accountable if I don't meet this outcome, but I am. And so sometimes that may get in the way. I don't know if that's something you've seen in your past as well, Amy. I appreciate that perspective because it's just kind of like, you know, as a designer, my tendency is always to protect my craft and protect my team. You know, you kind of get a little territorial and designers, they're they're terrible like that, right? No, don't touch my precious work. It's creative. I work so hard to make it so pretty. (laughs) And we're always like, yeah, it's pretty, but you know what? People are probably not going to like it right away anyway. So how do we get it out there faster and how do we balance that? So I have a question. Are we still talking about design or are we talking about this broadcast? (laughs) I think both. It is our product. It's a product. We're territorial and it sucks at first, but we're getting better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have great questions brought to us on our our first guest segment. It's an awesome, awesome conversation. Amy, I do have one more question for you. I'm going to flip it on its head, but... Excellent. Can we invite you back to a future episode to see how, if you've got any other insights on some of this, if you've been able to take any um, thing that maybe we've given you in one of our episodes and implement it and see something happen to it at your fun, exciting lawyer and taxes place? I would love that. It's kind of like only if you play really cool music to kind of like go into the way back, like last time on the show. 
Like like in Wayne's world when it goes like yes. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah, I think it's not something that we're gonna solve, right? This is an ongoing challenge, but I think having more conversations between product and design and how can work together is a great way to start. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much. This was an honor to be on your inaugural uh, event here. I appreciate it. And I'll say it was a pleasure having you. Thank you for signing up. And if anyone listening thinks that we gave horrible advice or amazing advice, or you walked away with more questions, please go to our website at broadcastbroadcast.com and sign up to be on a future episode. Who knows? You might get lucky and selected and be able to quiz Coach Corey and Coach Casey yourself. Yeah, don't forget to subscribe.